You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 45 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob couldn't make this episode. He's lost somewhere in IT land. Uh, I think he had some server issues he had to take care of at work. But today we're coming to you, as always, from the Sage and Public Library in Holbrook, New York. Uh, the Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our email subscription service from our website, thelibrarypros.com. And if you like what you hear, consider leaving a review on the service of your choice and tell a friend because that's how word of mouth uh, builds with podcasts and that's really how people learn about you know, what cool podcasts there are to listen to. And uh, we're also on social media, so check us out on uh, Twitter at, at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Library Pros. So today joining us is Carlos Galina. Is it Galina? Uh, Galiana. Galiana, I'm sorry. So That's okay. Carlos joins us today from Portland, Oregon via Google Hangouts. And Carlos is a Spanish regional technology coordinator at the, how do you say the name of your library? Multnomah County Library. Multnomah County Library. I'm going to mess that up about 100 more times. That's okay. Okay. So Carlos was named uh, as a library journal mover and shaker in 2017. And uh, we want to say thank you for taking time out uh, from your day to sit and speak with us. Oh, it's awesome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Cool. So we're going to talk to Carlos about engaging patrons with technology in various ways that are beneficial both to patrons and librarians. But first, uh, let's... Talk about Carlos and, and find out about his journey in library land. So tell us about your library first off. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, really great to be here. Uh, so yeah, I'm joining you all from the Portland, Oregon metro area. Um, and I don't work exactly in uh, the Portland uh, city of Portland. I work just outside of it. Uh, so I, I work in the kind of the neighboring city. And so it's in the eastern part of the Portland metro area. And I work for Multnomah County Library. I've been there for about uh, a little over four years now. Uh, I started off as a volunteer and then I got hired on as a circulation um, clerk kind of uh, job classification there. And then about four years ago or so, they uh, were interested in, in uh, creating a position, uh, like a, kind of like a teaching position where uh, this individual would engage uh, staff and patrons about technology and teaching them how to be more self-sufficient and use a library in a different and exciting way. Uh, so I've been working here for quite some time now and I really enjoy working here. We have um, several libraries of, of different sizes. So, so just like your traditional library system, we have small uh, neighborhood branches, and then we have larger um, regional um, libraries, and then we have a central library located in the downtown uh, Portland area. So we're the largest uh, library system in uh, the state of Oregon, and we're extremely busy <laughs> with materials movement and just engaging our community. That sounds really cool. So how many branches? Is there? Is it a branch system? Yes, it is a branch system. So we, you know, we share the same materials and uh, we have 19 branches. Wow. Uh, so uh, of various sizes. Uh, so some very small to uh, some to are, that are much larger. 
So uh, tell us what drove you to work in a library, because everybody has a different story when it comes to that. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's always been kind of, um, I don't know, it's always been on my mind ever since I was a little kid. Uh, so my mom was uh, like a paraprofessional at a, at a high school library, so she's always kind of enjoyed. So, you know, taking me to the library and, and you know, create that positive atmosphere of going to the library. And when I was a teen, I started going to the L.A. Public Library, and that's where I was. That's where I'm from. I'm from the L.A. area originally, uh, Los Angeles. So I started going there as a teen, and it was kind of a great place to, you know, kind of get away from some of the pressures of school and kind of, you know, f you know, figure yourself out, especially when you're a teen and you're growing up. Uh, so it was a great place to read comic books and history books and all kinds of stuff. And then when I went to college, I started volunteering just for a little bit um, at my university library, but I found that to be quite, <laughs> quite boring. <laughs> so I didn't last very long there. And then I did a few other things uh, when I moved to the Portland area. And then um, I started volunteering here at the at Multnomah County Library. So I, was, I became a volunteer and I enjoyed it so much. Um, I was here so often. So I was thinking, like, why not work here? So eventually I got lucky enough to get hired on. And um, I just really enjoy the work. I, I think libraries are um, not only just a great resource for the community, but it's it's really an opportunity for people to make their lives better. And I feel like I I embody that in, in a lot of ways because when I came here to Oregon with my family, I had very little money in my pocket and it was, you know, it was really kind of sad sometimes not being able to do the things you wanted to do. So the library was a great place to, you know, to get some stuff for free, you know, movies, music, uh, books, you know, sharpen my, my, my skill sets, um, become a better husband, father, uh, manager at that time. And I got all those resources at the library. So it was really um, kind of inspirational for me to um, grow as a, as a human, as a professional. But at the same time, now that I'm here at the, at, as an employee, I feel like I could kind of give back. And when I meet with patrons, I feel like I'm meeting with individuals of similar life experiences that I was at uh, a few years ago. Isn't it funny, too, how... Um it's it's hard to get the word out there sometimes that the library is like the best deal in town. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of smart folks who, you know, have their own YouTube channels and, um, you know, do TED Talks. And they would often say, hey, <laughs> you know, libraries are actually the place to be uh, if you want to grow as a person and, and you know, broaden your mind. Um, come to the library, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. So tell us uh, where you received your uh, your bachelor's degree. Yeah, I have a degree in history and a minor in Spanish, and I studied in Cal State uh, Dominguez Hills. So that's located um, just south of the L.A. area uh, in the city of Carson. So that's where I got my undergrad, and I'm currently just uh, a student once again. I'm learning uh, HTML and JavaScript and CSS at a local community college. And isn't it funny how uh, what's old is new again when, when it comes to coding, so even something as silly as Java? Yeah, for sure. Those are like those uh, 
tried and true kind of kind of things and, and if you don't have some of those foundations and i think you're you're kind of selling yourself short so and that's a little bit of my kind of technology knowledge is the fact that um most of the th most of my skill set is self-taught so i've learned that over the years and working with people and kind of picking the brains of some you know, IT professionals and some really smart people. Uh, but at the same time, when you do it through that route that I described, you, you have a lot of holes in your, in your repertoire, so to speak. So you kind of have to go back in and get some of the foundations in. It's so true. And, and so many people in library land, uh, regardless if they have their master's degree or a bachelor's degree or a degree in something else, um, there's so much of what you do that's self-taught. Right. Yeah, and that's what I think makes the profession of working in the library setting kind of really admirable actually because you as a professional could learn a substantial amount uh, because the information's right there it's a few feet away from me it's literally um, so there's uh, I think there's Apple ample opportunity to learn and you know try new things whether it be you know learning about the latest latest diet craze or learning about technology I think uh, the libraries provide ample opportunity for learning. I always think of like, if there's a challenge at work, uh, the solution to that challenge, whatever that challenge may be, is actually in the, your book, <laughs> your bookshelf a few feet away from you. So if there was like, let's say, um, a performance issue or, um, you know, a manager's kind of struggling with a team dynamics or something, well, the answer is just a few feet away from you at the library. <laughs> it really is true. Uh, so, was this the first library you worked in, or did you work in other libraries too? Yeah, this was actually the first um, the first library where I was uh, compensated. <laughs> yes, but I volunteered. Um, I volunteered at the university library, and at, I guess at my employer. Um, this is I my current employer, Multnomah County Library. This I volunteered here first, but yeah, this is the first um, library where I've been in, in a paid position. So what are some of the unique things you do over in, at your library? Because every, every library has their, their, their thing, you know? Yeah, so um, I think our, our, our thing is, two things really come to mind is that we have a customer service principle called Think Yes. And what that is, is that something similar that you would find in a private setting perhaps in, in engaging with customers is that we as library staff members uh, of Multnomah County Library really try hard to get a patron interaction to a yes. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we would say yes to everything that a patron is requesting, but we the goal and the philosophy behind Think Yes is that we, um, we try to find opportunities for them and limit barriers and make exceptions whenever whenever you know needed uh, to help a patron achieve what they wanted to do. Uh, so for example, um, one thing would be, um, um, you know, a patron needs to call home to get picked up from the library. Well, some libraries would say, well, we don't have a phone for use. We would say, um, you can use our phone, but it's only for a short amount of time. So, you know, that's kind of that think yes philosophy where we try to meet people where they are. And I think the second thing that we have is that it's, that's really special 
here is that we have a core group of professionals under this program called uh, We Speak Your Language. So we have a core group of individuals of, who speak different languages who are either members of that community or, or um, culturally sensitive to individuals who don't speak English as a primary language or don't speak English at all. Uh, so I, I'm, I belong to the Spanish um, work group. And in this work group, we get to meet people who are from all over Latin America, but also people who are, you know, who have learned Spanish as a second language. Uh, and then these people, these coworkers of mine are tasked with creating specific programs, um, events, uh, outreach to the Spanish speaking population of the Portland metro area. So I think those are the two things my library does extremely well and it's very um, unique uh, perhaps to other library system is that we have a customer service philosophy of think yes which is we try to get to limit as many as many barriers as possible with working with patrons and then the second thing is that we have a core group of staff members who are tuned in uh, to uh, non-english speaking communities well, it's funny that you mentioned the think yes um, idea because we we over at the Sachin Public Library, and this is where Bob would make fun of me because uh, I'm mentioning my library. We call it a culture of yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, Maybe we copied you. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, yeah, it's, I'm sure that we both read the same book or something. Yeah, <laughs> Getting to Yes, I think was the name of the book that that my right. my uh, director was kind of patterning uh, the philosophy after, and it, you know. There's nothing wrong with saying yes. Yes, there are going to be times when you're going to have to say no, and you're going to have to say, I'm sorry, that, that just isn't going to happen. Uh, but how hard is it to say, okay, you need to make a phone call? Okay, we can let you make the phone call, but it's going to be a quick one. Or you, right. know, you want to 3D print something? Oh, but it's for a school project, and you don't live in our district? And okay, maybe we'll make an exception. You know, right. You know, it's, it's very easy to fall into the trap of no. Because exactly library land has been like that for a long time, and it's so much. A lot of times, yes, there are struggles with saying yes to everything, but I think that uh, having that culture of yes um, really does make a difference, and it makes a difference with the employees as well. Absolutely. So tell us what it's like to be recognized as a library journal mover and shaker. I love asking this question because we have a lot of movers and shakers on here. Tell 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 us how that happened. Uh, it was uh, just such a surreal experience. Uh, my my goodness. Um, so I was approached by library man my by library management in my organization um, about possibly being nominated and if I was you know comfortable with that nomination. And I was a little hesitant at first because um, I'm you know a fairly shy person. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know what was going to happen if I was nominated and if I didn't get it, if, you know, what would happen. So I was a little apprehensive at first, but I just kind of, you know, I, I opened my arms to the opportunity, just kind of like the conversation we're having here with, with you and I is that I want to just try it and see what happens, you know? Sure. So I was nominated and, and I was awarded, um, this mover and shaker recognition. And when I received the email, um, that I, that I, that I got it. Um, I got a really early email email because it came from the East coast and I'm on the West coast. <laughs> so I saw, 
my inbox and I received something from like six in the morning. I was like, whoa, that's really early. So I clicked on it and then I received the news um, from New York and I was ecstatic and no one was in the library. It was just me and I was like jumping for joy <laughs> by myself, <laughs> by myself. So that was really um, kind of nerdy there. But and then after it was um, the article came out, it was just really nice to um, just hear all the positive you know, comments, uh, from my coworkers. And, um, I saw it more like while I did receive the recognition, um, it was a celebration of my coworkers. And because without them, I would, I wouldn't be successful reaching our patrons and teaching classes. So it was really nice to see that the work of, um, you know, my coworkers was recognized in this manner through this mover and shaker, um, award. Um, I also felt a kind of a special, something special inside me as being a Spanish speaker and a, and a Latino and, and being a millennial, you know, I think that that was really special for me as well, because, um, there's lots of, you know, noise and in, in the, in the media and social media of, of, you know, millennials not contributing to society and, you know, Latinos doing this and that. And, it was kind of a nice, nice, nice uh, thing to to experience, you know, that the through our hard work and you know persistence that our work was recognized on a national level. So that was really special for me. Well, it, that was one thing that I thought was was really outstanding is that you gave credit to everybody who you work with. You called them superheroes, and that just speaks for me. I read that and I said, wow, this guy really is something special to, to take, you know, this kind of, you know, accomplishment and throw it back on everybody who he works with. That's something that's really, you could tell that you're, you're really a special kind of guy because, you know, you just threw it back to everybody. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, and it's wholeheartedly, that's, I just love, love working with these folks. Um, there's this, there's a person that I work with who, was um is a veteran and she was a she was a nurse in the military and she, she was she was a superhero when I was in diapers you know <laughs> so <laughs> um I think it's you know really um that's it's something special to be connecting with people who are younger than you but also people who are more experienced than you and when you can learn from both generations I think something special really happens. And when you can mentor people who are older than you and people who are younger than you, you know, that's like the, the icing on the cake. Absolutely. I have to agree with that a hundred percent because when, when you have people who are older than you coming to you for help and you have people younger than you coming for help, I'm a little older than you. I'm in my late forties. And, but when you have, when I have millennials coming to me asking me for help, it's like, wow, wait a minute. That's, that's interesting. And then you have the you know, the generation, my, my parents' generation coming to you for help, you know, it really, it, it's kind of a weird, interesting, cool, funny, and flattering feeling all at the same time. Yeah, and that's the only way our society is going to break away from this ageist kind of perspective that it's kind of prevalent in all facets of workplace um, environments you know is that because of your certain generation you are treated a certain way mm -hmm. and if and the only way to break that down is if we actually start working together 
and start listening to each other and um, teaching skills. You know, we I'm excited to teach skills and I'm excited to learn skills. And I come in with with that um, mindset to every opportunity that I that I'm in. And it also speaks to, I, and I always talk about this, you know, whenever I talk about libraries, there's that narrative that, that you know, the media, whether it's, you know, news radio or, or television shows, and they keep pumping out, you know, well, you're this person, so you should act this way, or you're this person, so you act this way. And really, we're all just people. And once I think we can get past all the noise that comes out of our TVs every, every night or our radios every night, and we just realize that we're people. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We're just people, and at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make it through the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I, I think that's just really important to recognize is that we all, you know, bring uh, something to um, this puzzle. You know, we all contribute a, a piece to that, and when you open yourself to working with someone who's different from you, who brings a different life experience than you, 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 you get something from that. You learn something from that. And that's a little bit of, of why I like doing what I do is because uh, every time I get to work with someone, even though I'm teaching something that perhaps is second nature to me, I still feel like I'm learning something, especially from working with an individual who's, who's of a different background than me. Um, I feel like I always pick up on something, whether it be language nuances or, you know, nonverbal cues or just even that person sharing a little bit about themselves. You know, I think I always learn something and I, and I feel like I'm a better person because of it. I agree a thousand percent. Now, before we get going with all the stuff we really want to talk about, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about engaging patrons, uh, not only with tech help, but just engaging patrons and you know getting building that relationship between the patron and and the library um, because it takes a lot for us as library professionals to put the library out there especially with the people who come in so let's take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk about all this great stuff so we'll be right back Okay, we're back with uh, Carlos Galeana. Galeana, right? Perfect. All yeah, right, I got it. it. From the, I'm going to try it now. You ready? Yeah. Mol Moltoma? Multnomah. Multnomah. I, I keep forgetting the M, sorry. Multnomah <laughs> County Library in Portland, Oregon. Hey, people you can't say it. Sachem either. So we get Sachem, Sikum. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's pretty funny, right? Yeah. So we're back and we're talking about patrons and, and interacting with patrons and, and all that fun stuff. So, you know, when I read about you and the work you do with the one-on-one -on -one tech help with patrons, I thought to myself, this guy gets it because I love doing that kind of thing myself, building that relationship with the patron. It's more than just taking their Android phone or their iPhone or whatever they're working with and answering the question and telling them, okay, beat it. You know, you know, tell us how, you know, how you structure your one-on-one -on -one tech help with patrons? Do they make a reservation ahead of time? Do they just come in crying with their device? Tell us, tell us a little bit about how you, what your, the approach is there. 
Yeah, so um, so before I, I came to the library, actually, I, I was a manager at a um, at a clinic, and in this clinic, we would work with folks who are experiencing um, homelessness and just various trauma in their lives and um, just all kinds of issues, right? And so I was there, and I was getting tuned in not only to just work with people of all backgrounds. But also working with like a doctor's schedule and how to, you know, giving out appointments and, you know, creating um, various appointments there. And so I was kind of getting that those skills in my back pocket there. So when I came over to the library and I was hired on as this uh, teacher position, uh, I knew that the appointment model was successful based on the fact that some of my library colleagues were already doing something like that a few years prior. And it was already successful with some of the volunteers that we were um, incorporating to teach. In fact, myself, I was a volunteer. So I knew that teaching skills uh, in, a, in a really brief amount of time, relatively speaking, was kind of a successful way to go. I just knew that I wanted to do that all the time and do it as often as I possibly could. So. I started with creating a Google Sheets schedule, like a spreadsheet, and that gave the libraries where I work, I work at four libraries, a chance to um, schedule appointments for me, but also cancel appointments for me. So kind of like you would, something you would experience when you would call your doctor's office is that you can get an appointment uh, at one clinic, and if that doctor is not available, then you can get service at a different clinic, you know, so to speak. So the appointment model was a little bit more kind of copied from my experience and working with doctors. And so I started thinking, experimenting with times. So I was doing 30 minutes, uh, but I felt that was a little too short. I feel like we were always rushing. So I felt that 45 minutes was a good, um, a good, a good time, not too much, not too little. And if I go over the 45 minutes, that's okay. And if I go under the 45 minutes, that's okay too. But that's usually, you know, saves me about an hour or so uh, from my schedule. Uh, so doing that and doing that often, we get about some 30 appointments um, throughout the month or so. And then we do about usually usually about six to 10 classes in, in group format. And then we do about five or so um, appointments for staff. So I teach staff a, a new skill or help them brush up on something. So a lot of what I try to do out here in, in my workplace has been kind of copied from, you know, the clinic model of working with a, working with a doctor and their staff. Really, really interesting. And, and it's what's always been fascinating to me is how every library, even if it's within the same, the same branch system or the same consortium, how everybody does it a little bit different. Everybody's got a different name to it. Do you have a particular a, a branded name? For your one-on-one -on -one tech help? Yeah, I think before it was, um, uh, we, we gone through some various iterations just to get the word out. So it was tech help with Carlos. Um, it was kind of a starting point because I wanted to use my name as a way to connect with people and people remember, you know, your name. Um, but it wasn't until recently where we can became a little bit more uniform, which I, I welcome that and just have it called tech help. So, so not to create a confusion or distinction between something that I would do here and a tech help that you would get at a different location where I don't work. 
So now it's just called Tech Help. Uh, one of the things that it's helped us really stand out when connecting with patrons is a business card. Uh, so kind of like a doctor's card that you would get at a clinic is that you would get the the, the clinic name on the front and then the back you would get your appointment information. And that's what we have in my business card is that you get my phone number, you get my email. And on the back of this uh, business card of mine, you would get um, a time slot and the name of the library where you are meeting with me. So if you scheduled an appointment at, uh, let's say, Fairview Library, which is where I work, you can schedule an appointment at Fairview and go to an appointment at Fairview or go to an appointment at Rockwood, which is a different location where I work. And it doesn't matter which library you went to um, because you could get the you could get the same information, essentially. So that's what I was really hoping to do. And I'm, I think with the help of my coworkers who've been really awesome and supportive and they're the ones who talk me up with, with the patrons and they're the ones who hand out my business cards and without them, you know, for sure this, this wouldn't be possible. So it, it takes a team effort. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of work, uh, people working together towards one goal uh, to kind of make something like this happen. So this just begs the question, um, do you just do the one-on-ones or do you do you also um, kind of see what happens in the one-on-ones and create classes and now you can have a, a group of 15 or 20 people? Um, you know, how do you, how do you uh, engage the patron above the nuts and bolts to try to expand what you're doing and maybe even go beyond just the tech help? Yeah, I, th- I think um, I've... One thing that's really important for a library folks to know is that uh, help comes in many different ways. So um, I pride myself in being able to help, let's say, someone in, in one minute. You know, we've answered their question in one minute or less. Or in a traditional appointment, like 45 minutes, like the one I described. Or even um, 10 45-minute appointments or 90-minute appointments. So it's really kind of tailoring your style based on who is who is requesting that help. And one of the things that we've done to kind of supplement um, our tech help is, of course, we have our group classes where people can get extra help, um, but also create content for, for patrons as well. So we, we're, I'm, I'm really happy that us as an organization are willing to do content for folks, whether it be a quick tip sheet or write down instructions for people, or I've even done really brief videos on how to do something from, from home. Wow. That's kind of so, cool. Yeah. So it's like really, really um, kind of customized content for people that things that you wouldn't get on YouTube. And the reason we do that is because people, have various needs and people want to be able to practice at home and, you know, make no mistake about it. It's really hard work. It's a lot of work, but at the end you have really successful outcomes, I think. Um, so my coworkers here at Multnomah County library, I work really hard to create um, content that is customizable, but at the same time, um, you know, of a reading level that is, um, kind of appropriate for for many audiences, whether English as your first language or if you are, you know, uh, 
highly educated individual or a person who is, you know, learning how to how to read. So there's all kinds of um, reading levels out there, and we try to create material that kind of is kind of a baseline. In other words, that if you took our class, that you would you wouldn't get overwhelmed with with the material. And that does make a lot of sense, absolutely, because um, you don't want to you don't want to inundate somebody. You don't want to have an appointment or a class where there's so much information that they can't take it all down and they can't uh, process it all. Um, and always yeah. always leave them with a handout. Yeah, and you know, and that, that's a little bit of a, I guess of of a critique of the library culture in in the United States is that information is our profession so we try to inundate people with information right you know whether it be at an outreach event we have tons of flyers sometimes or you know we try to give people all kinds of books for them to read and people often aren't able to, to consume all that information so just giving them bite-sized um information might might be the best way to go does make a lot of sense. So let's talk about the outreach component of what libraries do or, or don't do enough of, actually. Because um, I love outreach because we, we at, at Sachem love to go past the four walls of the building, you know, because it's really important to reach out there and go into the community because sometimes you got to drag them in. Uh, so tell us how you approach outreach and engage the public. Yeah, I, I think um, our library system does a lot of great things in terms of outreach. Uh, we try to we do often those traditional outreaches, which are, you know, a table with, with flyers. Uh, we also do presentations at various um, places like schools and um, other organizations. Um, one of the things that I've, I've been more excited about and that I've kind of been experimenting with, with some success is the idea of having a pop-up program or a pop-up event, kind of like, um, something that you would see at like, like, let's say at a retail store where they would just kind of pop up a sp particular product or, or a particular, uh, display is approaching an outreach with that mindset. In other words, I would go to, let's say a, a women's group, um, and they have a set schedule, set time for me to go. I go in there, I teach, uh, internet basics. I teach folks about Google translate, about some of the other Google products, um, Apple stuff, perhaps. And it requires me, me, f uh, very little preparation, you know, very little, um, prep, uh, but it requires a lot of improvisation. So in other words, if I go into this group and I realize that everyone is, um, you know, a Spanish speaker, then I'm going to be speaking in Spanish. If I realize that almost everyone is a Russian speaker, then I'm going to make sure that I have, a uh, an interpreter with me, for example, and it requires me kind of changing on the fly. So it's very little prep work before going to do this outreach, but it, it requires a lot of improvisation when you're actually there. You're constantly like adjusting to best meet the needs of of those individuals. Uh, so that's what I mean by pop up is that is that it, you could change your approach based on who's there at that particular outreach, whether there's three people or, you know, 30 people, you know, it just depends on who's there. So one of the things I've been doing is that rather than, you know, introducing myself right away as, you know, Multnomah County Library is more like, hey, I work at the library. Um, 
today I'm going to just talk about how to build a, a basic website. So we're going to go over some things on WordPress. And if you're interested in learning more, we have tons of books at the library. Again, my name is Carlos. If you need extra help, just let me know. So really um, kind of an informal approach as well without kind of inundating people with a lot of information right up front. So that style of outreach is really fascinating to me. Um, I think we've been pretty successful at executing that here at Multnomah County Library, and I'm just interested in seeing if we could do more of that. This is kind of going off the, the script we say we never follow. Um, <laughs> but uh, tell sure. me tell me about the size of, of the um, of the area that you service, because it sounds like it's it's pretty big, and it's a lot to put on one person's shoulders. And, and and size of what? I'm sorry, I missed the first part. The size said. of the uh, of the area that you cover, the, the area that the library. Oh has. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, I'm actually quite lucky because um, the the region that I that I work at, uh, the service area that you're describing, is it's all fairly close to one another. So, I work in the eastern part of Multnomah County, which is the county that the city of Portland is in. So we're just outside of the Portland city limits and I work at four libraries and I travel to each one. Um, each library is about, I would say no more than five miles apart from each other. Okay. So it makes traveling very uh, easy for me. Um, however, um, if I worked at it, let's say a different part of the county, the service area is more spread out. So it could be several miles. It could even be as far as 11 miles. Uh, between one library and a different library, depending on what you wanted to accomplish on that day. So I'm actually very lucky. Um, I worked in a region that's a little bit more tight-knit in terms of geographical region there. Yes, I was going to say that, you know, it's a good thing they're all closed because I can just imagine you driving like, you know, 30 miles to get from one branch to the other and, and covering all of your tech appointments. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do about uh, two um, two per day. So I visit two libraries each day. Uh, sometimes I stay at one. Um, on a very really difficult day, I might be at three libraries uh, per day, sometimes four. Mm -hmm. um, but I usually try to stick to two. Uh, one library in the morning, I have my lunch, and then in the afternoon, I go to a different library. Okay, here's another one that's a little off script. What's your greatest hits? Like, what are the like the two of the three like biggest, like whether it's a class or whether it's a tech help thing, the two or three biggest things that people always ask? Uh, I, I guess, um, the, what I like, what I like to teach is anything that is art related or anything that is uh, creative in terms of making flyers or, uh, you know, making cards, business cards, um, designing something on, on something that's like really, it could be something really rudimentary, but or something really advanced, like just dabbling on Photoshop a little bit, or just doing something on Microsoft Paint. You know, I like anything that is artistic. So that's more of my personal um, perspective. And when a patron brings up a question, I'm just like, I feel like we're, we can we can spend hours together. <laughs> I know exactly like what you mean. I had so, yeah, yeah, I had an experience just like that this morning, this afternoon. It's the same, same thing. You get excited because, wait, we get to play with Photoshop for like a half hour, 45 minutes? Yeah, so I'm really interested when anything like that takes place. Uh, and I would say like another like kind of greatest hits, but it's not so like well known, is that I try to approach 
each session from an accessibility perspective, mm -hmm. and that helps helps it be a successful class. So I try to bring out uh, a high contrast keyboard if necessary. Um, I change the language settings to a patron's primary or preferred language on their iPad or Android device. Um, I bring out the stylus pens to for patrons who who need it and when they're working on their devices. Sure. So those are like the little things that that we can do to make technology more inclusive and accessible. And and I feel like it really helps our classes become more successful. And this is a good segue to the next question about empowerment with technology, because it's so important for libraries to be able to impart the amount of empowerment you get whether it's a smartphone, a tablet, a laptop, a desktop computer, or any piece of tech, you know, whether you're helping a senior overcoming that fear, assisting someone who's maybe visually impaired or hearing impaired, or even a, you know, a colleague who's sworn off tech, you know, we get some of the old school people out there. Um, you know, how do we empower, empower the type of patron who may not be tech inclined to learn tech? Like so you get the, uh, the 80-year-old who comes in with the, the iPad that's still in the shrink wrap. Yeah, I, I think it's approaching each situation with kindness and respect. You know, it's, you know, being kind and respectful just takes you miles away from anything else you can do, I think. Um, it takes you it takes you right to the right place, Um a place where you want to be with the patron, which is just engaging with them. And then after you do that, it's about kind of finding realistic solutions for people. So you describe, let's say a patron who has a brand new iPad and, you know, doesn't know how to get started. It's like letting them know that, that I'll, I'll be, he I'm here to catch you, you know, so to speak, I'm here to, <laughs> to work with you and let me do a little bit of that with you here. Then you do some, and then I'll do some, um, I'm not too crazy about um, that philosophy of letting the patron drive every um, every um, question, you know, every part of the question. I think a patron should um, participate to the, the the ability that they feel comfortable in with, because the last thing that we would want to do is overwhelm them and frustrate them. So uh, I'll give you an example: if uh, if a patron is, let's say, uh, typing something on the internet. Um, and they're having some issues with the keyboard, you know, have them type as much as they can. And then you may help with the, the clicking, you know, you may help with uh, enter here or, or, you know, click there. And it's about having to be more of a collaborative effort rather than you as a library person, just kind of watching them. <laughs> I think you you're know, right about that. Yeah. Everything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and word, you, the word is collaboration. Exactly. And you have the patron, you know, ultimately make the decisions for themselves is you as a library professional, you provide them with accurate information and they decide for themselves ultimately. So example, you're working with a patron, they bring in their laptop and then you notice, hey, um, you know, you would you, sh you would strongly benefit from an antivirus software installed in your in your PC. And then they would tell you which which one should I get? Well, and then you as a library professional would be, let me get a list of from consumer reports. I'm going to teach you how to read this review. And then you ultimately decide for yourself what you want to do with it, you know? So it's about giving patrons the tools, in this case, 
consumer reports or YouTube videos or handouts, those tools, and then helping them kind of interpret those tools so they can help decide for themselves what they want to do with it. And I think that's part of it, too. I mean, talking about empowerment, um, you kind of don't want to make the decision for them. It's like, well, get Norton, get Kapersky, get this, get that. Exactly. Because that's what they want. And sometimes it's not always about giving them what they want. It's about empowering them and teaching them that there's a lot of sources out there. It's not just McAfee and Norton. And... And you also don't want to be responsible if, for some reason, they pick the wrong one and something happens. Or they pick the right one and something happens anyway because they didn't do something right. Exactly. And that also goes in with the, that age, ageless question of, can you help me with my resume? So <laughs> it's, it's if you get to the root of the question, what the question really is, if you, you, know, if you really dissect it most of the time, it's, can you teach me some skills on Microsoft Word or on Google Docs that would help me be successful, like formattings and bullets and spacing? And us as library professionals, I think we should be able to, to teach self critiquing and feedback on resumes. That's when we that's when we're kind of overstepping our bounds there. Uh, so that's when we should bring out the resume books, you know, connect them with local job centers, um, because libraries. Um, you know, while we want to do so much for the community, I, I, we're just a, simply we're we're a part of this puzzle. You know, there's other organizations that could do it better than us, and we should work with them if if possible. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so switching gears for a sec, um, being the Spanish Regional Technology Coordinator, can you share um, how you? engage or be able to engage people whose first language is not English with the technology. We talked about it a little a little bit off mic before we began, but can you can you share with the people who listen to our podcast about that? Because it's not something we address a lot in this podcast, but I think we we like to uh, address a little bit more. So if you can tell us about, you know, the struggles and challenges with that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you mentioned, my my job title is Spanish Regional Technology Coordinator. Um, I'm not too crazy about that job title because to the world out there, it doesn't really mean much. Um, I'm basically just a technology trainer. I just help people learn more about computers. I just happen to um, work in this particular region and I speak two languages. Uh, So I'm a technology trainer and that's kind of how I introduce myself to the community as a whole. uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself either too, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be just like, hey, I'm just a tech person. You know, I want to be just do other stuff as well. Uh, so when working with people of, of just kind of different backgrounds, I think it's important, like what I said earlier, is coming to each approach with kindness and respect, you know, bringing in that humility uh, as you're working with someone who's different from you. Uh, and whenever possible, try to partner with a staff member or a volunteer who is of that community to deliver a program. So I've done programs with, um, I recently did a program with a Russian-speaking staff member here. And she was my interpreter as I taught these computer classes in English, but the the participants were mostly Russian-speaking folks. So while I wasn't a member of that community, um, having my colleague as an interpreter helped me kind of break the ice and really connect with them. Because a successful program or uh, an appointment is not 
really so much about you working with you working with a certain person uh, patron it's more like you working with the help of your colleagues or a volunteer to work with that patron so it's tapping into the uh, the areas of knowledge of other staff members as well not just doing it by yourself instead of hey if you get stumped ask for help if you're unable to connect with this particular um, individual ask for some tips from another coworker. Uh, I think sometimes library folks kind of go into um, offering programs or services by themselves. And I think they're kind of doing themselves a disservice. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you talk about, you know, it's, it's a team effort. So, you know, maybe, you, you know, you don't speak Russian, but having that, that uh, coworker help you out with that. I uh, mean, you know, that's part of the team. But also, um, can you maybe explain a little bit about how maybe Google Translate plays into a little bit of what you do? Because I know it works with us. You know, over at Station, we have so many different people who speak so many different languages, and it's such a great asset to have. Yeah, absolutely. I think a, a big part of making technology inclusive is, is having the technology in the language that works best for this individual. So whether that's, you know, Vietnamese, Russian, uh, Spanish, um, English, you know, whatever language. So it's you as a library staff member, if you can help change the language settings on that person's device, that could that could mean everything for that person from when they write an email to um, do a text message. So that's like a really great starting point. And if you don't do that and you're teaching someone skills, I think that they're going to be missing out on a lot. And it's not that the patron does not get the instructions what you're trying to tell them through the instruction you're, you're offering is that they literally don't understand what the menu is telling them, you know? So if you could start off with changing the language settings, that's a big one. Uh, Google Translate, I'm a big fan of because it's, it has improved dramatically over the past two years. And while it's not perfect, um, it's kind of accessible to almost everyone who has a device or access to a device. So whether you know, that'd be a smartphone or a laptop or even one of our own uh, library computers. Uh, Google Translate can really help people understand what's, what's being said in an email or a text message or even a document even. Uh, so that's been a, a big thing. And I've done um, training videos uh, for staff here just to kind of help talk up um, Google Translate. Because the last thing we want to do is, as library staff is also be interpreting what or actually translating what the document's telling them. You know, that's not our role at the library either. Um, we want to teach people some skills so they can learn um, how to better use these tools. But, you know, we're, we're overstepping our bounds when we start in translating all kinds of stuff, you know, for, for folks. So Google Translate has been a big one. I would say a big challenge for me in terms of languages is working with... Um, Spanish speakers whose Spanish is their um, their second language or even third language. And that's because they probably speak an indigenous language as their primary language. And it's a little bit of a challenge because um, you're trying to connect with them in Spanish, um, but they, they hardly uh, speak Spanish or they don't uh, understand it very well. And they don't understand English either. So you're trying to really connect with them in a language that they, you know, that they've, learn somewhat but um, they're still struggling and and to the root of that example is the fact that if we think about it spanish is 
in this case, the language of the oppressor. So what I mean by that is that it was kind of instilled in, into them when they were children and they've had to face discrimination and, you know, all kinds of things in their lives because they didn't speak Spanish very well in, in, in their home countries, whatever country that is. So when they make it to the United States, they still have to learn some form of language. And that's a matter of, that's an issue of oppression that these people are encountering. And me trying to connect with them in Spanish, the language of the conqueror, so to speak, um, it's hard. It's very hard. You know, it's very, I, I feel for them, I feel for people like that. And it's funny because it's interesting how you describe it as the language of the conqueror. Because uh, exactly, know, it, it's an indigenous. They speak an indigenous language, and they're kind of forced into speaking Spanish. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, language is power. And when, when you take someone's language, you're, you've taken essentially their power. Um, so, when uh, when a child is born, let's say in the small village in Latin America, and they and they speak an, an indigenous language, and then for them to grow up and get by in life, they have to learn some form of Spanish and and they're they're bullied and mistreated and discriminated against because they can't speak a certain language and it's very 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 hard yeah wow so you know that's really an, an interesting viewpoint and it's actually a good segue into the, the next question that we had um, about you know isn't helping a person you know not just bridge the digital gap but make that actual connection isn't that a great satisfying feeling yeah, for sure. I, I've I, my greatest satisfaction in my work is when I think people um, graduate from working with me. It's ultimately we want people to be self-sufficient and you know say hello every now and then and you know ask for help whenever they need it. But I love it when people are just making those connections and and being able to do it on their own or being able to articulate the help they need in a more clear manner or, or in a more um, precise way. Uh, that's, that's like awesome. I just love that. And I've, I've seen that a lot with my coworkers. Uh, I've done a lot of like mentoring and um, kind of coaching with, with some of my coworkers on various technologies. So it could be like, you know, formulas on, on Google sheets, or it could be how to be, how to organize your inbox better or how to work on the iCloud you know, how to ins and outs of iCloud and stuff like that. And I've seen them just feel more confident with themselves and engaging with the patron and, and, you know, not being so um, kind of be more open to, to exploring those things with the patrons. And I just, I just love that. I love seeing that. Talking about bridging that digital gap, isn't it a satisfying feeling when you know, somebody comes back to you after they've done your one-on-ones or done a class and, and they hold up their device and say, look what I'm doing. You showed me how to do this. And then you're going to have to show me some more. But, you know, at least you've, you've given them that step, right, to, to move forward. Um, even if it's a baby step, it's just a step moving forward with using whatever they're using, whether it's a computer or a tablet or a, a smartphone or anything like that. Yeah, it's extremely satisfying. I feel like I'm really lucky that I'm able to um, work with folks and actually see the progression and from, you know, maybe touching them up for the first time in their lives to actually feeling more confident and, you know, applying for a job on, because, you know, everything's online now. So you really need um, some core set of skills. So I've seen people, you know, complete uh, birthday party invitations and, you know, 
work on their website and you know complete their you know thesis uh, papers and I've helped the people of all walks of life so people who are you know teens have worked with teens or you know seniors and uh, managers uh, of various age age groups and just you know try to be better at their jobs or just try to be a, you know better at whatever they're trying to accomplish with technology and I think the most powerful uh, stories for me are the ones when people are be able to connect with family or friends and they use like like an iPad or an Android device to to connect with people. I think that's really powerful for me and when I'm able to teach them how to do that, uh, that's that's amazing. And of course, we're also in the business of ebooks, so helping them, you know, get connected through the library with ebooks and audiobooks on their devices, that's really important for me as well. Um, but seeing pay, seeing staff members as well grow and become more comfortable with technology and perhaps be a little bit more efficient uh, in the workplace thanks to some of the things I've been able to teach them. Uh, that's awesome. I love it. I love seeing that growth. It really is a great feeling, especially when, at least for me, when I'm dealing with um, helping seniors and they come to you so apprehensive about, you know, where they're almost afraid to touch the device because they, they're going to break it. And uh, right. And then a month later, they're on YouTube and you know, they're reading ebooks and you know, and then they're streaming TV and they're doing all these crazy things and and they just you went from somebody who was apprehensive and almost giving up and barely even even knowing how to use a flip phone to, you know, cruising around in their galaxy or on their iPhone and it's it for me it's it's such a great satisfying feeling because it, you know, you say to yourself, Well, this is why I was put on this planet. Yeah, it's it's great working with them, and it, it's funny seeing them use emojis, and they go, they perhaps go a little overboard with the emojis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and their relatives are like, "Who taught you how to do all this stuff with your emojis?" And it's so funny. Yeah, it really is hysterical. So, our last question before we take a quick break is, and no judgment. What's your tech of choice? I think my tech of choice is anytime we could bring in a smartphone or a tablet um, because I feel like you could do so much with them from, you know, learning a new skill on, let's say, an app or or on YouTube or, you know, working on a document or just, you know, reading email, watching videos. I feel like tablets are so – tablets and smartphones are just really the, the tech of, of today, you know. They truly are, and and I feel like – if you taught a computer basics class, let's say four years ago, you would really focus heavily on on the computer and flash drives. And now if you teach a computer basics class, I think you bring in the computer, but you also need to mention tablets and phones and the cloud. So for me, tech of choice, I think, is, is the phone, the phone and the tablet for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's funny you were thinking that because we used to teach a class as early as four years ago that was called um... – uh, computers 101 and it was a mouse class right and you know and I always explain to people especially seniors because they they say well look I'm not really good with the computer I don't know if I'm going to be good with this and when I explain to them that you know I walk them literally over to a computer and said what's your biggest impediment I'm not a good typer and I don't know how to use that mouse thing and then when I say mm -hmm. to them okay well if I could tell you that we can take the keyboard and we can throw it out the window and we could take the mouse and <laughs> chuck it in the garbage would that make you feel better? And of course, oh yes, that would be wonderful. And I said, well, <laughs> guess what? You can do that with your phone. 
And once you see that light bulb go off, once you see them yeah. say, wait a minute, I don't need all this other stuff. They may need a stylus because sometimes people just, you know, some people have right. fat fingertips. But when you take away the device that is made for input and it's just your finger or your voice, and now it's become, it's gone from, you know, I'm typing on a computer the same way we did in 1979 to Star Trek. Right. And, you know, it it really is a fun thing to see. And when, when you... When you see people have that revelation, well, wait a minute, I don't have to use a mouse or a keyboard. Now it's just my finger. Or when I give uh, a great example is my dad. My dad is completely against all technology, but I'll give him my phone just to show him pictures of my kids. What does he instinctually do? He uses his Mm. finger to swipe to the next picture. Yeah. You know, and it's so much fun to see that there's almost an instinctual page turning intuitiveness to the whether it's an iPad or a, a Samsung tablet or or whatever it is that has a touch screen there's that just intuitive you know there's an intuitiveness to it where it's not okay I have to figure out this mouse and which button do I click and how do I move it and now I clicked and moved it at the same time so now it didn't actually click you know it took the rules away and now it's just almost second nature so for me I, I love seeing that, especially when I'm dealing with seniors, because it, there's that that um, reconnect where the, the computer with the keyboard and the mouse created that disconnect. Yeah, and also the, the speech-to-text features on phones and tablets are really great. Uh, so it really helps people compose sentences and you know, web searches by just by pressing that microphone icon and they could speak to their device. And it's almost always really good or it has improved dramatically over the past few years. So teaching them that really, you know, it's a game changer. You see that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it, and it's fun when I'm teaching seniors how to text. It's like, I don't understand this texting thing. Why do the kids like it so much? And then five minutes later, they're texting all their friends or they're texting texting their kids. And one thing I really love to do is to um, have the seniors drive their kids crazy because they're texting them. And and you'll say, (laughs) why are you texting me? Or how did you learn how to do that? Right. You know, then they're coming to the library to yell at me. (laughs) Right. But but that's just great fun just to show them that it's not a kid-only thing or it's not only a millennial thing or it's not only a Gen X thing. It's... It's a thing, and it's just another form of communication. And then within a few months, they realize why we don't pick up a phone call each other anymore. Right. It really, it really is a, a, a funny experience once they, they quote-unquote get it, you know? Did I lose you? Yeah. No, I'm here. Oh, okay. Good, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know what? Since we... We had a couple of snafus here. Why don't we take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to ask Carlos our top 10 library questions, or what we like to call the 032 list, which is a Dewey number for top 10 lists. And as always, Okay, have, sounds good. And we have to give credit where credit is due to our friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library in Middle Island, New York, for naming the list during her episode of uh, when she came onto our uh, podcast. So, And this is the questions that we ask all our guests. So we'll be back in just a moment.
Okay, we're back with Carlos Galliana, right? Yeah, you got it. Okay, good. Okay, trust me, my last name is no picnic, so I, I get it. <laughs> uh, so he's going to be our next participant in the 032 list, and we always have to say that the questions in our list are inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. Uh, you can see their work by visiting their website, lithub.com. And take a look at their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So are you ready? I am. Okay. Question one. What did you want to be when you were a child? Um, I think I've always been drawn into art. So I wanted to do art. Uh, and that was basically with comics and superhero stuff and drawing. So I did a little bit of that. And I, I would say I still do some of that, especially when helping with patrons kind of design a business card or a flyer. I still love working with art and whenever I can. Yeah. Okay, question number two. What was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? Oh, I, I think the, my first memory of the library is probably with my mom. She, you know, she worked at a library as a paraprofessional, just helping, um, you know, shelf books. And I think that was probably my first memory. Um, I don't remember the first library I ever went to, but I think I just remember one of the things I remember was the VHS tapes <laughs> that were for checkout and they were so boxy. <laughs> so I remember getting those. And then I remember walking into libraries and there being basically no computers and the card catalogs still there. So I definitely have mem memories of those things there. Okay. So let's see. When... When did you decide to work in a library? And if it wasn't your first career choice, what was your first career path? Because so many people in library land choose the library profession as their second career. Yeah, I, I think library land was probably, you know, I've done a few things in my career from primarily in management. Um, I'm still involved in healthcare. I serve on a board right now of another clinic. Um, so I guess in a way, the library world is... Um, being part of the library land, like you called it, is my second career. Um, but I, I guess I kind of look at it more like uh, education has always been part of my career. I worked in the elementary school for many years while I, while I was in college. And I'm still doing some form of education, some form of teaching. So I guess I, I still am doing kind of a career that um, I would have been doing either way. I'm just doing it in a different way, and it happens to be in a library setting. Okay, here's one of our favorite questions. Who is your favorite fictional librarian? <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like I'm drawing a blank. I really don't have um, a, a fictional librarian that kind of comes to mind, but I guess I remember that character from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember his his name, but I remember him being a a, a librarian character. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's great. So uh, what's your favorite section of the library? And originally we meant this to mean like, you know, um, history, nonfiction, somewhere fiction. But now that libraries have kind of broadened what they do with maker spaces and cafes and things, it could mean anything. So what's your favorite section of, your, of the library? Cause, and you have many libraries that you work in. So it's kind of a hard call, right? Yeah, it is very much a hard call. Yeah, we have a makerspace in one of the libraries that I work at, and I've participated there uh, from time to time. But 
I would I would say I would have like two favorite sections. I love walking into the Spanish language section, looking at all the children's books and um, you know nonfiction and fiction books in Spanish. I just love reading it. Um, but I also I, I would say my favorite um, section of the library is the one five eights of the nonfiction, which is uh, personal development. Um, you know trying to be a better human, those kinds of things, self-help a little bit of that. I, I love reading those books. And I draw a lot of inspiration from them. That's very cool. You haven't had an answer like that before. That's a good one. So if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? I, I think always uh, maybe, um, you know, you think about adding uh, more individuals who could do, who are doing the work that, that I'm doing. And, um, that's always been kind of like a dream of ours to hire more trainers, more teachers, you know, more of, more of people with that skill set. Um, you know, obviously having more tech as well, having more um, technology, uh, laptops, things like that, maker spaces. But I would say like a, a one thing that I really feel is powerful and that something that almost every library can do is if you buy like a hundred stylus pens, um, buy those, really invest in those things because when you work with patrons and if you could give one out for free, then you're really, you could really change your life by giving them one of those things. And they're low cost and they're something that almost every library can do. Uh, so I would say, yeah, stylus pens. Let's have more of those. <laughs> There's a tagline, stylus pens. Okay, yeah. so what do you love about your library? I think the fact that my library creates really opportunities for for like everyone to, you know, get connected with the library. So we try to connect with folks, you know, through outreach, uh, through our website, of course, um, when the people come into our space. But we try to make it really, we're really flexible with, with giving out um, library cards, for example. We ask for very minimal information from folks. I think historically, um, lots of libraries have asked for like a proof of address or like an envelope with your your, your name and um, your address on it to prove your residency. Um, and we don't ask for any of that stuff. You know, the, those traditional means of proving um, who you are as a person. You know, we do ask for photo ID, um, but we're pretty flexible with that as well. You know, we, we take shelters, IDs, we take... Um, IDs from cons consulates and embassies, so we're pretty we're we're pretty um, open to to getting connected people with a library card. And then we also have a really great policy of of there's no late fees on children's materials. Now, if you don't bring it back, of course you do get charged a replacement fee. But if you're a couple of days late, let's say on a DVD that it's a kid's DVD, that you don't get a you don't get a fine. So that's been a big, um, big help for parents and for kids, you know, from coming back to the library. We want people to come back. So we don't want to create barriers for them. So I'm pretty proud of those two things. That really is cool. What is the weirdest, not necessarily worst, but the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library or in your li one of your branches? Uh, weirdest thing? Uh, honestly, I really can't really think too uh, too much really about what is the weirdest thing um i i guess it's you 
truly libraries are really for everyone and you just meet people from all walks of life i guess some people are really interesting uh so i guess that's the weirdest thing we have an expression here in portland called keep portland weird so you get people of all all walks of life coming into our libraries which is a good thing keep portland weird i like that yeah it's a bumper sticker thing out here so if you ever come out to portland let me know and i'll show you around <laughs> okay <laughs> so who is your favorite regular patron because we all have regulars right yeah yeah I, I do have one i do have one individual i i have a few kind of regulars that kind of come and go here and there based on whatever's going on in their lives but i have one 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 gal she's uh, she meets with me fairly regularly, maybe twice a month. Um, she's working on a book about her life and, uh, she, she has done a fabulous job since she was young of preserving many photographs. So she has a big, um, assortment of photos from when she was a baby to, uh, to now of her age. She's about 80 now. So she has pictures of her parents and I love, scanning those photos with her putting them on her word document helping her with her formatting and yeah we're we're kind of joined at the hip i guess so to speak we we work all together often and she's terrific and i really enjoy her that's really cool it's and it's fun when you get those those treasure people right yeah okay so last question what are people without library cards missing out on i th i th Honestly, I, I think of a little bit of my story is that I when I moved to Oregon, I literally had nothing. Um, and the fact that I was able to come to the library here, uh, Multnomah County Library, and get a library card and check out books on, you know, how to be a better manager, how to be a better employee, you know, how to be a better father, husband, you know, music, entertainment – that's what people are missing out on. You're missing out on opportunities to grow as a person, whether that's through um, the access we provide through lynda.com or, um, you know, Learning Express or just even a book. Uh, you're missing out on all those things. And I felt that because I have had access to those things here at this library, um, I'm definitely a better person for it. And I, um, I'm extremely grateful for it. So if you don't have a library card, you're missing out on a whole lot. That's for sure. I have to say thanks because you've been such a great sport in answering all of our questions. And it's really been great having you on the podcast. It's so much you've had, you know, talked about so many things that that are personal philosophies that I believe in at work. And um, and when you do the things that we do, it's not really work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed it. just connecting with you and uh, just just chatting about about the cool stuff that we're working on. And I really love what I do. And, and thank you so much for providing this opportunity for me to connect with your listeners. And you know, if you're ever out in Portland, Oregon, just give me a holler. That would be fun. So, do you have any uh, websites or anything you wanna you wanna tell everybody about? Yeah, uh, so if folks want to connect with me, I could be reached at uh, carlosgaliana.com. And so that is C-A-R-L-O-S-G-A-L-E-A-N-A.com. And uh, one of the cool websites that I really like going to for kind of teaching patrons technology is GCF Learn Free. And that's through the Goodwill Foundation. And the Spanish version is GCF Aprende Libre. So this is a really great place where folks can learn about technology, whether it be Microsoft Word or Excel. 
um, iPhones, Android devices, and all the classes there are free. So it's, you know, they're learning through the computer, uh, but it's really great for them to learn something new. And it's done in an English that is easy to understand. Excellent. And I will put all that stuff on our website, librarypros.com, for your for the page for your episode. So we'll take care of all that for you, too. Cool. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah. That's all the time we have for this edition. And if you have any questions or comments about our show, please go to the contact us section of our website, thelibrarypros.com, where we'll also include links and photos from this and all of our episodes. We put them all on our site. And you can also check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Library Pros. And please don't forget to subscribe to our RSS, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and all the other places that you get your podcast. So, as always, the opinions stated by the Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, if Bob were here, and not those of the Station Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. I've taught I think I'm losing your audio you still there Carlos we lost your audio I think you still there Carlos we uh, we kind of lost your audio there